Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. And I have a Zoom call going today, like a lot of you spending time on your computer, staring into the void, looking hopefully at people that are fun to talk to. I'm really excited to talk to Fred Haberman. He's with Haberman and Associates. He's the CEO there. Also, he is the founder of a company called Freak Flag Foods. It's an organic food company. And Fred, I think I first found out about you guys maybe three years ago. Is that about how long that you've been around? Uh, yes, that's, that is about how long Freak Flag has been around. Um, we probably were experimenting a couple of years prior to that. But yes, it's been about three years. And uh, yeah, it's flown. When I talk about Freak Flag Foods, you've got some core branded products, but your genesis of creating those products is you are an expert in brand, wouldn't you say? I don't know if I could, I would ever say I'm an expert in anything, Um, (laughs) but um, I would say that I'm a passionate person about, you know, around and and for many, on many things. Um, So my wife and I started a marketing agency. I can't even believe it now, 26 years ago, which is called Haberman. Sounds like I'm talking the third person. And our mission at, at Haberman is really to tell the stories of pioneers who are making a difference in the world. And a big passion area of ours uh, revolves around advocating for good food companies. And um, we had the, the honor and the pleasure to, to work with Organic Valley, if people are familiar with that brand, sure. for nearly 20 years. Um, we worked, uh, we started with them when they were about um, – 40 or $35 million and worked with them until they were a billion dollar co-op. And the chief marketing officer said, you know, I I hired Fred. So um, he would stop stalking me because I had to tell their story. I just loved it so much. The, the multiple benefits that uh, accrue uh, when you buy their products, a for the environment, for the health of people, and certainly for the family farmer. Uh, And then we started working with Annie's uh, homegrown Annie's, uh, which Worked with them for many years through their IPO, and then they were sold to General Mills, and and many many other brands that you would find at the co-ops, um, as well as uh, Whole Foods. Uh, and then we started working uh, a lot with um, food access uh, organizations, whether it was the McKnight Foundation or organizations that we created ourselves, like Urban Organics, which was an aquaponics facility uh, where we wanted to uh, showcase. Um, a very sustainable model where you only use 2% of the water to grow both greens and sustainably grown fish uh, in a, um, what is coined a food desert, which is a, which is a controversial term, but nonetheless, I'll, I'll use it in this, in this conversation where people have very little access to nutritious food. And there are about 6,000 of those uh, in the United States. And if you can believe it, we have 26 food deserts in the Twin Cities, this very wealthy area that is called the Twin Cities, uh, where people have to get on buses and don't have uh, easy access to transportation to get their their um, nutrition. They oftentimes are going to gas stations and the like. So we wanted to locate the facility in a uh, dilapidated building, which we did in the Hams building. And lo and behold, uh, not just because of us, but because we're the first ones to go into this particular area in East St. Paul, we were able to generate a couple hundred million dollars of economic development, which is really exciting for that, that area. And then Mississippi market um, created a, um, uh, another location mm-hmm. uh, in that area, as well as a number of other uh, uh, businesses. As I ramble in telling you about how I got excited about food, I think just food is, 
Um, you know, I'm very, very excited about the organic food movement. I, I, I prefer that we, and certainly my family, that we don't eat pesticides. Um, and that, you know, there are a lot of terrible things that, that come along with that for our health and for our, our land. And uh, it's shocking today that still what's happened in the last 50, 60 years is that only 1% of our soil in the United States is organic. And what did your grandma call organic? She just called it food because what we did since World War II is we really wanted to, to create this mass production system. And so over the last several few decades, we've, we've been trying to dismantle it, mostly for uh, food security, ironically, um, because a, a, a system that is more, um, quite frankly, distributed um, uh, is, is far safer uh, and, far, and, and more localized is far safer for all of us than, than certainly a, a mass production system. There, how's that for throwing everything at you right in the first three minutes? I'm with you. I'm with you. Because it is sort of, we are seeing the um, Achilles heel of that system with COVID and with the pandemic and some of the racial inequities that we've experienced specifically here in the Twin Cities. Yes. And, and people are sort of going back to the farm, right? They're trying to order whole sides of beef and they're ordering uh, chickens from their farmers directly and buying eggs. And we've seen food companies and um, farmers markets and farms pop up as like pantries for urban people that are trying to get better quality food in a more sustainable way. And in a way that they don't have to go into the grocery store with their mask on. It, it harkens back to, um, and I used to know a lot more about this, you know, I went to Madison. So my memory at this age of 54 is a little spotty, but um, it's good to be alive. But anyway, uh, uh, there were these gardens as, as probably many of your listeners recall um, called, there were these gardens called victory gardens. Sure. Uh, you know, pre world war two that um, in, in large measure were for food security and, but, an incredible amount of food and produce um, uh, uh, happened to be sold and distributed through these, uh, these, these, these victory gardens. And I think it might even be 40 to 50% at that time. And, and of course we dismantled that post-World War II. And now we're, of course, to your point, going back to it. And we, and, and once again, to your point related to um, uh, what's happened here, unfortunately in Minneapolis related to um know, shining the spotlight on, on, on racial inequities. Of course, food deserts tend to follow uh, the, the same thing we're seeing related to the, um, uh, with COVID-19 uh, communities uh, more heavily being impacted that are uh, 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 cultures or, or communities of color and the like, the same thing, of course, you can see with these food deserts. And so we, we need to begin and continue to, to make progress in these areas. So with that said, you decided to launch Freak Flag Organics. What are your core products right now? Because you've got, I think, four, unless yeah, so, you've expanded. So, you know, every, every business that we go into, we, we, we really, we, we, I really believe in a mission. So the mission of Urban Organics is a very different mission, or was a very different mission than Freak Flag. Freak Flag. And, and Urban Organics was sold to Pentair. And, and unfortunately, um, it is no longer with us. Which is so sad because it was so cool. Yeah, I think, I think the lesson there is be thoughtful about who you, who you sell to, you know. Sure. And it's not really a lamb on, on larger entities. It's just that they're not, they're really not 
thinking more on, they're not, they're less entrepreneurial. They're, they tend to be better at, at, at coming up and supporting um, more mature systems. But anyway, um, uh, the, the mission of uh, Freak Flag Organics is, is to inspire people to be themselves in the world and in the kitchen. And so I wanted to create a brand uh, and, and, a, and a social uh, advocacy um, uh, uh, brand that, that would inspire people to be themselves to, to um, and, and every day we have this opportunity in the kitchen to create something. And, you know, every day when you do create something, hopefully, and you do something that's authentic to yourself and you follow your passion, you're a happier person. And, and when others see that, I believe they're inspired. And so our products today, we hope they're good by themselves, but that hopefully they're inspiring people to experiment a little bit more. And so we started um, really with uh, some products uh, like our chimiverde sauce and our kale pesto, which actually the kale originally came from Urban Organics. Uh, we, we then um, moved into a number of other co- uh, condiments, and then we expanded the pesto line to include a tomato pesto and a carrot pesto. And, and now um, we uh, have expanded into bone broths, very tasty bone, bone broths that include chicken tortilla, a coconut chicken, which is more of a Thai uh, soup, and then more of a lemon pepper um, uh, um, uh, bone broth. And we're very excited to share that uh, Whole Foods nationally has picked up all of our bone broths uh, starting actually last week. And uh, we're about to be in a number of other um, uh, uh, retailers across the United States with our pestos. So Are we're, the bone broths called Freak Flag Organics bone broth? It's called Freak Flag Organics. Um, and, um, uh, you know, they're, they're great because they, they taste wonderful on their own, but they can also be used as a great cooking sauce. So, you know, you can make any number of dishes. If you're in a rush, you can, you know, that's, that was always the hope that this idea of one, two, freak, number one, obviously buy our products. And then number two, if you wanted to, to bake some chicken, just get some fresh chicken. And, and you can, you can base them or, or do a, a, a some type of, of fun Mexican dish. Um, the same goes with, with our, 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 some of our condiments like our curry mole. Once again, you can, you can just add our sauce to, to a good protein um, or, or, or the like, and you can go with that. Uh, kale pesto of course is great with noodles, but phenomenal with goat cheese. So it's always this idea of one plus two equals something hopefully special. Um, who does your product development? Do you do it yourself in your kitchen or? So it's, it's, it's really the, 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 the main engine, uh, for the formulations and the recipes is this wonderful woman named Mary Jane Miller and who has, is a professional chef and, and is a wonderful person. And she, you know, she, she comes up with the recipes, although we, it's always a collaborative effort. You just cannot do innovation. I think without some help, it's kind of like a, a band, a music band, but she's, she's the leader of the, of the product innovation. And so, you know, we're always looking at um, categories that we think could, could, could use a little innovation and freakiness. Um, and, 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 and the consumer might be interested in, in, in exploring new options and then we go to her and she immediately and amazingly comes up with wonderful recipes. Is so that- your, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is your broth shelf stable? Yes. Okay. So all of our products are shelf stable. We started interestingly with, with products that were 
that we wanted to be all fresh. And then we realized with our condiments that they were also shelf stable. So we started moving into shelf stable and that helped us a lot because um, as many of your listeners know, uh, we would like, you know, I always love fresh products. We all make fresh products. Fresh products always taste the best. Um, I'm not going to ever say that our products are going to be maybe at times they're as good as fresh, but man, I go into my backyard and I get, I pick some basil and I, mix something up. It's pretty hard to compete with that. Sure. But when you're, when you're in the food business, it's really challenging to manage a fresh or, or frozen, particularly fresh supply chain. And so we, we went the shelf stable route. That doesn't mean that we might not go fresh in the future, but it would be a very, very different model. Um, so. And it's usually different buyers and it's like, Oh yeah. Very, a whole new- very different buyers. And, boy, I've learned a lot and boy, I've made a lot of mistakes over the last uh, few years, you know, just the, 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 the buyers are the Kings and the Queens of the food world, just as you and just as the distributors. <laughs> and, um, we, uh, uh, we, we, we have a really good relationship in particular right now with, with a couple, with a few buyers that have really helped us with our innovation. You know, they'll, they'll say, you know, have you thought of this or have you thought of that? And, they all have, they have tensors on the pulse of what's happening. The amazing thing is, is that you usually only get 15 to 30 minutes with them. And so you've got to be very prepared and, and um, uh, be ready to not just um, uh, uh, share with them what you're thinking, what you've created, but also how you can adapt to what they're looking for. And, and that, that's been a real eye opener for us. And it's, it's, for us, it's been about, being able to like a year ago, we didn't know we were going to be doing bone broth. We really didn't. Um, it was the buyer that, that really turned us on. I always wanted to do a soup and I was thinking, or a bone broth two to three years from now, but that expedited when, when one of the buyers said, Hey, you, you should do this with this brand. The hallmark of a lot of new food innovation and consumers finding new brands at the grocery store is sampling. I find it curious that you're going to be unveiling a new product in a landscape that is not being able to be sampled. Are you concerned about that or how will you get people to try your product? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's, and we've, we've felt that effect on the marketing side of our agency. Um, it's, it's this COVID has affected, you know, so many different industries and one industry it's really affected are all these folks that, uh, do shopper marketing or specifically um, uh, tastings and demos. Um, and um, one organization that we work with um, uh, believes that, and this was six months ago, that they wouldn't be doing any demos, obviously this year, and no demos next year. And many of these retailers will, when you when you talk to the buyers, they will say, you have to, we require you to do X number of demos. And of course, that is drastically changed. Um, uh, although there is talk that some of these larger retailers will be doing demos next year. Um, I am of course concerned that we can't be doing the demos at the same time. And this is the weird part. Demos cost a lot of money. They can cost, um, anywhere between on the very low end, you know, 60 some odd dollars, but they can cost 80 to $90 a pop for, you know, and you're not living in those cities. So you have to outsource it. So on the one hand, you're saving a lot of money by not doing the demos. On the other hand, you're not getting into people's mouths. And so you have to then re, uh, 
uh, allocate those dollars, of course, to um, depending upon what the brand is. And in our case, coupons or uh, certainly um, TPRs, temporary price reductions, which I didn't really understand until a few years ago. Um, and, and, and any other kind of creative marketing. Um, I think, um, you know, what we're going to be trying to do is, you know, the other piece that, that, you know, what is the most important advertising that you can do is, is, is on, is on shelf, you know, have, we have bright packaging. We, you know, we're going to be doing some discounts, but yes, it, it concerns me that we can't be doing a lot of demos. And I wonder how influ there's been a lot of talk about influencers and, you know, oh, the influencers are a joke and they don't really influence anything. And yet in the food space, they have made a huge splash in helping people to find products that they wouldn't have found. You know, you know me, you know what my aesthetic is, you know how I cook, you know what I like. And then I introduce you to these products that you would take a chance on because you have a sense of who I am as a cook or the kinds of things that I like. Influencers. So our marketing mix is, is, you know, with most, most uh, brands, um, you know, so a lot of the, the companies that Haberman, the agency will work with tend they, you know, once again, they're privately, generally privately held. They're non, when they get, when they grow up and are purchased by say General Mills and like, they're not our client anymore. We're really right. good with the, the, the privately held founder driven organizations, but these tend to be mid market organizations that, that are thinking about the next phase possibly selling. And so they're going to spend more money on marketing. These smaller entities like freak flag simply let's say now we're in about 1500 stores nationwide, which you just, when you have a budget that, that has to basically all go to the trade, meaning discounts, coupons, you have very, 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 very little money to spend on marketing. So the best bang for your dollar outside of the TPRs that, by the way, the retailers are requiring that you do, you have to pay money to, you, in many cases, you have to pay money for the- to discount product, your product. Discount your product, right? So on the other side, on the consumer side, what we call consumer marketing, where you have a, a nominal amount of money- which of course is the most important part is your packaging uh, and, and I would say Amazon, if you can afford it, because Amazon is one of the best ways that you can market your product is to your point, which I'm getting to, which is influencers. So we will be spending a fair amount and most of our money um, that's left over on influencers. I mean, it, it's a no brainer to, to think that influencers don't have influence, particularly in this industry is, is, is just is tomfoolery. Um, and it's a wonderful thing that we have these, these, I particularly like people like you that are authentic, that, that are walking their talk, that, that have a, uh, a, a, a good, uh, follow, a following of folks that, that have similar values. And, and they exist, of course, in these pockets, whether it's Southern California, Minneapolis, the, the, the Denver area, um, Austin area. Um, it's, it's, it's really helpful for brands like ours that have not a ton of money to, to collaborate, uh, with those folks. It's interesting. The markets you just mentioned, Austin, Seattle, Portland, the twin cities, what I know from 
my advertising days, I guess, is that those markets have similar profiles. So if you can infiltrate those areas, that product can leach out and get into the Costco's of the world and help you expand. Would you say that's true? No doubt about it. So, you know, we time and time again, you're, you're, you're focusing on these six to 10 markets, you know, um, Minneapolis would be one of those markets, fortunately. Minneapolis, uh, Boulder, Denver, Seattle, Portland, of course, and then uh, Austin, Boston. But, but, but then you get into some bigger markets that are really important um, but are far more expensive, San Francisco, Los Angeles, um, New York, and Chicago, uh, and Miami. <laughs> but the first group groupings are, are really important. The other piece that, that you learn um, – uh, pretty, pretty intensely is that, you know, people, the, 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 the veterans will say, you know, food is about distribution, 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 you know, like real estate, location, location, location. Well, it's not that simple, but let's just focus on distribution. When whole foods says yes, it's really a, a huge win because not only do you get to be in whole foods, but many will argue that it's as important or sometimes more important that then you now have access to UNFI. And yeah. UNFI, of course, is that big distribution company. For those that don't know about UNFI, they're the, the largest organic natural channel distribution group. And um, I believe they purchase super value here locally, um, primarily not for their grocery stores, but for their distribution network. And that's what, so you'll see UNFI trucks around the Twin Cities. But what happens is, is that when you get into Whole Foods, um, Whole Foods will open up 13 to 14 distribution centers that are managed by UNFI. And so when that happens, then you can go to these smaller retailers up and down the coast across the United States, the Kowalskis of the world, as an example, uh, which are quote, smaller retailers of, say, 15, 10 to 15, 7 to 20 uh, uh, store chains and say, hey, our bone broths are in um, the UNFI DC in Seattle. Kowalski's up there. In this case, it's Huckleberries, which mm-hmm. we just got into. Would you, you know, these are the organic, natural, higher-end um, people looking for, for, for quote, good food, um, you can get in there uh, because you, they can, they're not big enough to open up a DC on their own. So this opens that DC, which then allows you to kind of uh, grow your business because you, you got into Whole Foods. And that, that, that's a huge learning that, we, that, that I had to learn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you still feel like um, farmers markets, I mean, we're in such a weird place right now and potentially we'll be here next year too. Yeah. You know, cause you kind of started with some festivals and some events oh, yeah. and some sampling. Do you still feel like that is a good way to get started? I think it's the best way to get started. Um, you know, I'd like to say that you, you, you know, you can, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a test and learn business and, and it, it's that way throughout the whole, the whole continuum. You know, the first thing you, you go to your, your local church kitchen, which we did in Delano. Uh, my, well, that's where Mary Jane, mm-hmm. Buffalo and Delano, that's where she lives. And we've got this organic garden out in Delano and we would four or five years ago, start playing around, you know, 
testing and learning just in our own kitchen. And then we started testing, learning, learning at good acre kitchen. If people know good acre and then, and then uh, right away, you know, we would, we were making our own product. Right. And the, the good news there is you get to understand what is really going on here, you know, with, how difficult it is to get all the product there at the same time and all these different things so that when the, the co-packers, when you eventually outsource it, which most likely you will, um, you know what, what to talk about. You understand pH levels. And then from there, to your point, um, you know, you want to test it. So you, you go, what's the best place to test and where are the most curious people or people that are wanting to, to try new things? You, in our case, we went to the Mill City farmer's market, you know, and we love those people. We help Haberman, you know, help um, at the very beginning with the marketing of that. And we, it's a perfect place for us. And they'll give you the feedback, you know, they'll say, oh, this is awful, or this tastes good, or, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then from there, you kind of go, which is the best next place. And I love, you know, I'm a co-op rat. You go with Dale at at, uh, 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 Lake Winds, or you go with Josh Resnick and the group at Wedge and Linden Hills. And I've been members of there since I arrived in the Twin Cities 30 years, and they'll give you great feedback. And so you kind of, okay, the co-ops, we're kind of doing all right with this product. We're not doing that. Well, maybe we should change the name. We screwed up on the name. Our packaging isn't, you know, it's not, the product name isn't big enough. Because, and you want to get that right. You want to learn because when you get to the prime time, and not to, whatever prime time means. Cause some people just want to be that small. And that's great. Yeah. That's great. You know, for us, we decided to get investors. And so we have a different pressure model, but you know, if you want to get to the, the national level with whole foods, you better have some numbers. You better have some under, some real understanding of what that takes. And then now you're going to be doing some serious production runs. And of course that takes a lot more money. Were you surprised how long it took to get going at your co-packer? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 everything. It's like a year. Well, it depends who the co-packers are, you know. Um, uh, you know, the good co-packers, like anyone who is uh, respected uh, and has credibility in the food business, they want to uh, check all the boxes and dot all the I's and make darn sure that, that the food is safe. And, um, you know, we, we've, so, and, and the, and like with any business, the good businesses, um, are busy. <laughs> so you, you know, unless something weird has just happened, you know, um, so you, you're, 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 you're trying to get in with the co-packer that, that has a good business and is busy and has to make room for you. Um, uh, with that said, you know, you, you want to do a lot of research, you know, we, we have different co-packers now, um, for different products, but I always want to have two to three, you know, during COVID so that in case there's a plan B or plan C, you know, and today supply chains are all messed up because of COVID and, and, and co-packers of course are very, like anybody, very vulnerable to, to potential sickness. And so what is your plan B, you know, and, and where are you getting your, you know, we had to get our packaging outside of the United States for this particular type of packaging. And it was very scary. You know, our business would have gone under potentially if we hadn't gotten the packaging. And then we had to figure out how we were going to get it to these certain DCs and distribution. And so, you know, starting a food business, particularly a national food business is really, really, really challenging. 
you know, it, 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 there's, that's why I have respect for, for people up and down the continuum. I have, I have a lot of respect for people that just want to have a small food business. You know, I, 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 you know, my favorite, one of my favorite food businesses in, in that I've ever been to and I'm loyal to is Clancy's and Linden Hills, you know, Kristen and I love Tracy over at, uh, uh, Birchwood and sure. Brenda, uh, and, 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 um, uh, 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 you're keeping some good company there, Fred, you're eating some good food. If those are your go-tos. Well, good food oftentimes costs a little more, but yes, it does. I want to support them, you know, and, and, um, and all those people, it, it's so, I don't even know what the word is. That is the feeling that I have when I think about these restaurant entrepreneurs and the amount they've had to shoulder during this COVID crisis. Like it's not enough that everybody's business went, you know, business changed and you're working from home and you're trying to do this and you're raising your kids. And, and then if you're a restaurateur, you were just closed for longer than anybody. Now, likely they may be the first place where there's COVID outbreaks because people tend to congregate there. I just feel, I just feel so sad for some of these folks that have worked so hard to build these businesses and through no fault of their own and through no amount of safety measures they can take. Sometimes people get sick because you're dealing with, you know, a lot of people moving in and out of a, of a workplace. It's just sad. It's really sad. I, I have a friend who owns um, a few restaurants and like a few friends that own a few restaurants. And of course, um, you know, they, they, two of them lost a hundred percent of their, their revenue. And mm-hmm. to, uh, one guy had to lay off or furlough 120 people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare. And then you're, you call them back or half of them back or 20% of them back, whatever the percentage is. And now in other parts of the country, they're having to close again. What do you do? Like you have all this food, you know, you've made plans, you're doing your business model. You're trying to stay afloat until we get through this virus scenario. And it's just going to change a lot. It's going to change our food system again. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, there, there are two sides of it, right? There's, and you always want to try to look at the positive side and, and it's really hard to find anything positive. And it's the only positive I can see is what you had mentioned earlier is that it's, I hope that it will continue to shine the light on the inequities that, um, that we need to do. We need to think about our food system differently. And, and I think people will be cooking more at home. I like that more about the, the cost of goods, you know, like, when you go to and you make something on your own and you know how much that costs, well, when you go to the restaurant and you order something, you're maybe, you know, going to place a higher value instead of on fast food, if you know what I'm saying. I've saved, um, we've saved a lot of money just by cooking at home because we like to go to restaurants, but I, I love cooking and, but it's just incredible how much money you save when you, when you cook at home and it tastes good. You know, it's interesting. You go to restaurants and I love, like I said, I like going to restaurants and I like the food that I like to experiment. But, you know, I always say mine tastes better. Well, you know why mine tastes better is because I'm putting more garlic in (laughs) or I'm putting those ingredients. I'm putting more of that fresh basil in. It's only because you're putting in the ingredients that you love. Yeah. And also 
that you're <laughs> controlling the quality and but yeah you're you know people say well you're a good cook i go no i'm not i just know where to get really good ingredients and then you let them shine well it's been really fun to talk to you uh when will we be able to find the bone broths in our whole foods so the bone broths are in the process of going, getting on all the shelves in the whole foods um uh in the twin cities uh this week and next week okay we will look for them. We're going to um, release this podcast uh, next Wednesday. So that will be like July. What are we? We're about July 14th-ish. I don't have the calendar in front of me. but um, So people will look for it. And congratulations. It was really fun to talk to you today. Great to talk with you. Um, love what you're doing. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll hit you up for something here in the next year as we move forward. I know you're working with a lot of cool companies doing cool stuff. So. You're kind. Um, All my best to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Fred. Bye-bye.